The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Let me just begin by saying welcome here. Welcome here to all of you who are here, to all of you who are watching from home. Uh, we are thoroughly glad that we can, can honor our God together uh, in both ways uh, this morning. And I find that when we meet for Good Friday, that it's a, it's a bittersweet time of worship. It's bittersweet because we know, we know what Christ has bought for us on the cross. Praise God for that. And we also know or have a sense of what it cost him to buy that for us. And so this morning, we're coming before him with both of those things. And uh, I, I invite us to come before him with gratitude for what he's done for us as we celebrate his amazing love. And let's begin with that. I was going to read some scripture. This is uh, from Romans chapter 5. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. My name is Mary Magdalene. I think I'm in shock. I can't believe what has happened. I can't believe Jesus is gone. I mean, how could he be dead? Just a few days ago, we all came into Jerusalem together. Everyone was so happy. He came into the city riding on that donkey. People were singing and shouting and calling his name. It was glorious. And then all of a sudden yesterday, everything changed. Everything changed, and now he's gone. You have to understand, this is Jesus. Jesus, he was everything to me. I'll never forget the day I first met him. It was in Magdala, where I grew up. He was just walking through town with some of his people. I was just part of the crowd. And then he turned and looked at me. And when he looked at me, he saw me. I mean, he saw me. No one ever else really saw me, ever. I can tell you exactly what they saw. Some people saw me as a spoiled rich girl. They only saw my money. You see, my father was pretty successful in business, and we had some wealth. And there were always those who would want to get to know me because of what I had, not because of who I am. And then for others, the fact that I am a woman somehow kept them from seeing that I am also a person. Men saw me as an object. Women saw me as a threat. Not to mention that where I come from, women are often mistreated and looked down upon. Many times I was just simply dismissed as irrelevant. And then everyone else just saw me as a mess. And they weren't wrong about that. I have no excuses. I have made lots of bad choices. 
The devil was certainly having his way with me. I was in a dark and hopeless place, mistreated by the world, and angry at everyone. And everything I turned to in order to make myself feel better was actually making me feel worse. I was just stumbling along in my sin. And that's when Jesus saw me. That's where I was. He didn't see any of those other things. He just saw me. He spoke with me. He forgave my sin. He healed me. My life was changed forever, and I decided right then and there that I would always follow him wherever he went. And I did. I followed him with my whole heart. I followed him all the way here to his grave. Last night, the soldiers came and arrested Jesus while he and the men were out in the garden together. They dragged him off to see the high priest. As soon as I heard, I followed him there because that's what I do. I follow Jesus wherever he goes. I followed him as they took him to Pilate and then to Herod and then back to Pilate. And then the whole time they kept mocking him, shouting at him, hitting him, spitting on him. The most humble and generous man that ever lived, and this is how they treated him. And then I followed him again, down that one last road. The last road he would walk, the road to his death, dragging a heavy cross all the way to Golgotha. What a horrible place. It's the place where murderers and thieves go to die in their shame. It's the place that smells like blood and death. And that's where they crucified him. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the temp teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of the Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani? Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. 
With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, who stood there in front of Jesus, saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James the Younger, and of Joseph, and Salome. The wind up on that hill was so cold, and the sky just grew darker and darker, and I felt so helpless. Jesus was my friend, my teacher. He had changed my life. He had become my life. And supporting him in his ministry had meant everything to me. But now all I was able to do was just stand there and helplessly watch him die. It was heartbreaking. And Jesus was in so much pain. They had driven spikes through his hands and feet when they put him on that cross. And when they lifted him up, those spikes were supporting all of his weight. He was in complete agony. And I could see that he had to fight for every single breath. And when he tried to speak, his voice was hoarse and ragged and almost unrecognizable. But he managed to get a few words out. His mother was standing right beside me the whole time. Oh, Mary. How I felt for her as she watched her son slipping away before her very eyes. And Jesus felt for her too. Even in his suffering, he saw her and cared for her. In a raspy voice, he called out to her and to his friend John, who was standing beside. He wanted to make sure that John was going to look after Mary from now on. That's who Jesus was, always thinking of everyone else first, even while he was in the worst misery. His thoughts were about the good of others. He always saw everyone exactly where they were at. And so I don't understand, why did it have to be him? He never hurt anyone. He only did what was good. He loved everybody. But here he was, on a cross, suffering all alone, completely alone. You know, there had been many times over the years where Jesus had gone off to be by himself. But he had never been alone. He was always very clear that he was spending time with God, his Father. But today, today, when he cried out in that horrible voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, I have to admit that I had been wondering the same thing. Where was God? I mean, it's like he had turned his back on his most faithful servant. It was like Jesus was being punished by his own father for something he didn't do. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by man, afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds 
we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. My friends, let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, it is a deep privilege to be able to come before you knowing that just as sure as we are here in this room together, just as certain as what we see with our eyes right now, it was you who we are speaking to right now who hung on the cross on our behalf. All of those words that were just said, the scripture that was just read, was about you, and we speak to you now, Lord. We know that it was upon you that our sin, our imperfection, our iniquity was laid, that you bore all of that so that we could be freed from it, and we give you thanks. We know that we were hopeless on our own, and we could never, we could never have earned that. And so we give you thanks, and we give you thanks for what you've given us because of that. We give you thanks for new life. We give you thanks for a life that we can know that you are with us every day, in every circumstance. And so, Lord, we give you thanks. I pray that as we praise you now with song, that you would be blessed. Our desire is to honor you. We love you, and we thank you for how much you have loved us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Terry. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, have the privilege of uh, sharing some scripture with us uh, before uh, we partake of the Lord's Supper. And um, if uh, you're online or if you're here in the room and you want to uh, get the, the cup the, in the room here at the back, there's more of these if you didn't pick one up on your way in. And at home, if you just want to get some bread and some juice, that would be good because in about 10 minutes, we're going to share around this table. And uh, my wife and I and our family, we served in Bolivia for uh, seven years, um, and we arrived back in Canada uh, 12 years ago. And we left, we left in Bolivia two dogs that were our pets, and they were really really special little critters that God gave us for that time, served the purpose that God had for their lives in, in our family. And when we got back to uh, Canada, within about a month, we, we, uh, we got a little golden retriever puppy, and uh, Charlie it was uh, such an important part of our family. And last Saturday, Charlie died. And, uh, you know, he, he had cancer, and and we knew it was just about his time. And he died peacefully in his sleep. And, 
And uh, God is so good. He, he, he provided the timing in such a way that our three boys were out at the cabin. And uh, we phoned them and asked them to dig a hole. And um, not too far from where Charlie liked to go into the lake. And then uh, Pat and I, after last Sunday's service, we drove out and we buried Charlie. And all of us had a chance to just think about his life. And, um, you know, I stood there and I, I just had to thank God for the 12 years we had with that dog and the purpose that Charlie had as a creature that God made for our family when we came back from Bolivia and just these last 12 years. And um, it made me think of that saying, someone said, make sure that when it comes time to die, that's all you have left to do. <laughs> um, it makes us think about maybe, I wonder even why God made most pets, domestic pets, to have a lifespan that is way shorter than ours because God intended that we these little creatures that we get so attached to, we think about our own mortality as we say goodbye to theirs. And um, so I, I thank God for Charlie fulfilling his God-given purpose in our lives. And I wonder, I wonder what would it look like if, if we went through the big characters in the whole biblical holy history and we just one by one saw that they didn't fulfill the purpose that God had for their lives. Think about it if, if Noah, for example, decided he didn't want to bear with all the scorn of building this enormous boat, and there's not a lot of rain happening, Noah. And he just said, no, forget it. I, I don't know what would I can't imagine. Think about Abraham. If, if Abraham, when God called him to leave his home and, and, and go to the land that God would show him, what if he just said, no, I don't want to leave home. I want to stay with my dad and my family. And What if it would have been Moses that said, I don't want to go back to Egypt and deliver those slaves, those Hebrew people. I, I, actually, I'll go back, but I'll stay in Pharaoh's court. I'll just be one of the Egyptians. Or what if, what if it would have been Daniel and his friends not willing to compromise, or, or willing to compromise. What, if, what about David said, I don't want to be the king of Israel. What if John the Baptist would have said, you know what, I want to live out like a hermit in the wilderness preaching repentance like a weirdo. I, I just want to fit in. What if Mary and Joseph said, I don't want to be scorned for having a child outside of marriage and didn't want to become the parents, earthly parents of the Christ child. And supremely of all, what if Jesus, our Savior, decided that he did not want to go to that cross? You know, we sometimes minimize the deity or divinity and the humanity of Jesus, and we think that somehow, well, yeah, yeah, he was... He was a human, but he was also God. So as if that there was no real possibility that he was tempted to actually not do the hard things of the will of God for Jesus' life. We kind of think that way. We shouldn't. It says in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, that when Jesus came down 
and was born, he emptied himself of all this power, all this godness. He was still God, but he was God in the flesh, confined to a human body with all the emotions, with all the frailties, all the things. That's why when he was in Gethsemane, in that garden, he, he sweat drops of blood. There was such a consternation, a, a stress upon his, his life because humanly there was the real possibility that he would not drink the cup of the will of God for his life. He could have said, no, I don't want to follow that way, God. I don't want to endure the cross. I don't want to endure you abandoning me. I don't want to endure all of that. But he didn't do that, of course. He willingly went to the cross. He followed through. He followed the will of God and the path that that will of God followed. In fact, it says in the Scriptures that he delighted in doing the will of God. One day, he, was, he hadn't eaten much, and he said to his disciples, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to complete his work. The assignment that God had given Jesus was going to be completed because Jesus was faithful as the Son of God. And so, so what that says to us is that he is not only faithful to be our Savior, but he, he leads the way in faithfulness following the path that God had marked out for him. And whatever hard thing you are facing, whatever path, the will of God path for your life, Whatever it is that when you come time to die has to be completed because it's God's will for your life to complete it, he is the one that you can look to to have grace and strength and ability to endure. Whatever that hard thing is, is it a, is it a hard relationship that God's asked you to endure? Is it hard financial times? Is it joblessness? Is it the death of a loved one? Is it a sickness? Whatever is on the, that will of God path that comes to you because God hasn't taken it away, he says, I'm with you in that. He's one, he's a high priest who can sympathize with all our weaknesses. He understands. He sees you. And he's able to sympathize with you. When I was pastoring in Thunder Bay uh, many years, that was before Bolivia, and um, in my earlier years of pastoring, there was an old gentleman, his name was Reverend John Harvey, and he was a, a, an older retired pastor. And I would go to him as this younger pastor, and, and I just wanted counsel and prayer and advice and whatever. And we, we would sit in his apartment uh, for, for hours, uh, sometimes a couple hours in the afternoon, and then we would talk and pray, and every time, Every time I visited John Harvey, he would recite Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36, in the King James Version, of course. <laughs> and he, say, he would say to me, For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. Three ye's in one sentence. <laughs> And I realized as a young pastor, I did. I, I did need that patience. It's the word there, upomone, the steadfast endurance, this, this thing that says you stand under the thing that God has put on you until God takes it off of you. That's the picture. 
It's the will of God for your life. It's the assignment for God of God for you. Charlie's assignment was to be our dog for almost 12 years. He fulfilled his calling as image bearers, as people who are created in the image of God, who are redeemed by Jesus Christ through what he did. He, he now leads the way for us. He says, come, pick up your cross. Whatever, whatever the will of God is in your path, pick up that cross, follow me, because that's how you're going to bring most glory to God. And that's how you're going to find the most fulfillment and joy in your life. That's the, that's the Lord's calling for our lives. It's said of David in Acts 13, David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid to rest with his fathers. Now you know, if you know David's life, he was not perfect. But it says that because he trusted in God, because he, he was a man after God's own heart, he, he, he fulfilled the purposes of God for David in his generation. And I just want to follow in those footsteps. I want to fulfill the purposes of God for my life. And I hope you will too and want to as well. And you'll do it by faith in Jesus. You'll do it through his grace, his strength, not your own. But you can do it. We're going to partake of the Lord's Supper in a moment. But as we sing some more and worship the Lord, I want you to take a moment to, to prepare your mind and heart. And I want you to see this table not only as a table of remembrance where we look back to what Christ is and has been for us, but I want you to see it as a table of the present where it is that God sees you. He knows you. He loves you. He is for you. Right now in the, in the COVID year, right now with whatever it is that you're facing, and I want you to see it as a table also that points to the future, that is a future consecration of your life to follow the will of God path for you. Here we are. May the Lord bless you. It's said that um, the Moravian brethren, when they left the shores of where they live to go out into the world and fulfill the Great Commission by making disciples, sharing Christ with the nations. It said that one of them yelled back from the boat and said, uh, may the lamb receive the reward of his sufferings. I love that. May the lamb receive the reward of his sufferings. And what is the reward of the sufferings of Christ? It is... It is lives that are consecrated by faith in Jesus Christ. Lives that are surrendered to God and wanting to follow the will of God path for the purpose that they were created uh, in the image of God and redeemed back to that image through Christ. So, so today, even as we gather around this table, let's be, be a remembrance table, yes. Let it be a table of absolute sympathy from a high priest who understands what you're facing in the present. But let it also be a table of the future that says, <clears throat> I'm going to live my life and follow hard after Jesus. The first person I want to disciple is myself, and I'm going to follow hard after him. If you have bread and cup in your hands, I'd like to just give thanks now for this incredible gift and privilege of sharing in the cup and the bread. Let's pray.
Lord, our, our God, we thank you for your Son, our Savior, Jesus. And as today we've, we've read the story and seen it dramatized and we have thought about the events of that first Good Friday. And Lord, how Jesus, you, you had already had a sleepless night by Friday morning and you were already beaten and hungry and tired and yet you still had to face the cross and the, the supreme sacrifice of being forsaken of the Father and abandoned and taking the sins of the world upon you. And thank you, oh God, thank you for this supreme sacrifice. May we, Lord, as those who follow you, may we see the worth of your life and the worth of your death, which was absolutely on the will of God path for you. And may we follow hard after you. Thank you, Lord, for this, this way, for this bread that represents your body on the cross and for this cup, this juice that represents your blood that was shed. We receive it with gratitude and we remember what you did in Jesus' name. Amen. And now, friends, would you partake of the bread and the cup and be thankful. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. May God bless you. Our Lord Jesus, there is a scripture that we like to read at Christmas time where you are named as Emmanuel, God with us, having come into this world so that we can have you with us. And as much as we celebrate that at Christmas, it is what we celebrate on Good Friday and Easter. That is really where that happened. We thank you that you died for us on the cross. We thank you that you paid a debt that we couldn't. We thank you that you gave your life so that we could have new life and that we could have new life with you, God with us. And I thank you that because of that, you walk with us, you see us, you carry us, you work in us, you change us, you grow us, that we can enjoy you in this life already now because of what you've done. And we thank you, Lord, that as bittersweet as this day is, that we know that this isn't the end. We have we know that, that Easter is coming. The character as portrayed this morning of Mary Magdalene at the time of when she would have said something like that, she didn't know what was still coming. But we thank you that you've given us that, that we know that you rose from the dead. We know that the grave is empty, and we know that because of that, we have new life in a world where death has been conquered for those who put their faith in Christ. And so we give you thanks. I pray for each one, Lord, for each family. I pray that as we go into this special number of days, that you would allow us to really, really focus on you and that you would be honored. That you would be honored. Thank you, Lord, for meeting us here today. I pray this in your name. Amen. On behalf of the of the staff and the board and the leadership, we, we wish you a, 
a very special and very meaningful uh, weekend as you reflect on Jesus together. And uh, for, for those of you who have signed up on Sunday morning uh, for either the 9 o'clock or the 10.30 service, we'll see you in person on Sunday. And if you haven't and you're online now, uh, you can find us again at 10.30 on Sunday morning, and we look forward to worshiping our God together with you. God bless. Thank you.